You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. What is the best unschooling structure? Is there such a thing? Do unschoolers learn structure and how if adults aren't telling them how to manage their time? Perhaps you're wondering that. How will unschoolers learn how to manage their time and tasks if they just do what they want when they want? Now, as always on this podcast, I'm talking to folks who are already in this mix because making the decision to raise free people does not mean that you automatically <laughs> um, lose the doubt and the concerns and that you can't grow quite a bit in your de-schooling journey and then hit a moment where something happens that brings you right back to the space of, oh shit, what they learning, you know? So that's why I wanted to chat about that a little bit and to really say, to assert here that the the truth, and it's everybody's truth, it just looks different for everybody, is that structure isn't something that you happen upon the right one for you necessarily, you create it. In an unschooling environment, it is created. And then they develop the personal leadership skills in partnership with willing adults to refine that structure where needed. But mostly the adult's job is to support that structure. And so there's this thing about structure, this myth that I want to really address here as you listen into the rest of this episode. And it's that in adulthood, we are organized. By the time we get to adulthood, we are pros at organizing ourselves. We know how to manage our time. We know how to manage our money. We are responsible and our personal leadership skills are on point. Is that the deal, right? For every adult that you know, that's the deal. And because they got to adulthood, they got these skills. Nah, right? If we really look at that myth, if we really like pick this myth up and holler at this bad boy, stare it in the face. <laughs> what we know is that for grown folks, and I call grown folks people over 30, right? And this is a generalization here, but I'm going to make it anyway. If you're over 30, I dare you to tell me, I dare you to tell me that when you became an adult, you felt by and large, like you had a handle on your life, like you manage your time well, and that you structure your day in ways that match beautifully with your needs and your curiosities and your ideal way of learning, and that you're always on time for things because you know how to manage your time and tasks like a motherfucking boss, right? Is is that the case? Word? Because <laughs> if you're that person, and I'm not saying those people don't exist, sometimes I'm that person, but not always. And I am that person in spite of, I'm that person sometimes, in spite of, not because of schooling and not because of someone else was structuring my time. It wasn't because of those reasons. It was after all of that, that I got the chance and I'm still learning really how to manage myself. And I've, I've had a lot of practice with it, which is why I'm good at it. And because I've been really deliberate about designing a life that that really fits my flow in large part as a result of being around my daughters and other unschoolers and seeing how that's possible. Because the truth is that many of us, grown as we might be, <laughs> are still figuring out how to manage ourselves. Our personal leadership skill building has been consistently overshadowed suffocated really by all the forced structure, all the do what I say, no need to think about it because I already told you what to do, those sort of messages that we got as children and all of the here's what to focus on from nine to three when you're in school and then from nine to five when you're at work. 
you and I, as a result of those sort of things, y'all have very little practice using our actual interests and curiosities and unique learning style to dive into, to design and to develop and to refine a way of spending our days in deliberate studies. The truth is that most of us have experienced structure as a tool of oppression, not as a personal liberation tool, but we can do something about that. And that's really what I'm hoping this conversation with Sage is going to bring about, you know, to offer you a little bit of insight into how this can work and why you should continue to trust that it will work and that you will know when to step in and that you will have resources around you when you don't know how to step in because it's communal and a lot of it is about an internal personal leadership process that you as the adult support as opposed to a particular course of study that you as the adult enforce. Rewind this if you need to, okay? Because <laughs> I know there's some things in here that we might need to, you know, kind of move our neck to both sides and push our shoulders down as we really lean into what we're hearing here and how it makes us feel. Yeah, yeah? We are here on episode 154 of Fair of the Free Child podcast, which means, of course, that the show notes page will be raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 154. You don't want to skip that part of this process, this experience with the podcast, because we put all the gems from the episode there. All right. So this week, we are talking about emergent structure. How does structure happen in unschooling? If there isn't an adult making sure that a child has things to do at scheduled times and that someone is holding them accountable and testing them to make sure that they know something about the thing that they've done, how will anyone learn anything? What can structure possibly look like if you just all over the place doing whatever you want to do, right? That's the conversation that I want to have with a 13-year-old unschooler with whom I'm quite familiar because she's my baby. And <laughs> I invited Sage on. Sage, thank you for taking a moment to chat with us and so we can unpack a little bit how structure emerges. Thank you for having me. Let's go right into it, right? So we know that there's this idea that, as I said, structure is something that has to be predetermined and that a young person steps into that and that's how they develop the skills that they need. What are your thoughts on on that premise? I think it's one of the most important conversations to have in pretty much any SDE space, whether that's a home or a center, because I think it's one of the experiences that almost everybody who is involved will have, and it's that's very important to have. But I think that a lot of the conversation tends to be focused on the wrong things, such as like what what can be tracked through observation, and it doesn't leave enough room, in my opinion, for internal progress and development. So with that, I think talk of internal progress can be brushed off or ignored, really. I guess it depends on who's talking at the time. But it's uncomfortable that things that are presentable or trackable, again, are valued over the, the learner's own process 
for building what they think is best for them and what they think that they want to stick to. Um, and it's really important that that's honored and not pushed to be something it's not. So I think, especially in those times, that's when people are tempted to switch back to assigned curriculum, which <laughs> is not, I don't think it's the way because there are two things with that for me. And I think the first thing is giving in to your desire to step in for something that would feel right to you, even when it's not your life really, will kind of bleed into the trust of the relationship, regardless of good intention, because I don't think anybody thinks you're evil, <laughs> but I think that it's just a really difficult subject to approach and not feel like not feel like you're having power stripped away from you if somebody's forcing you to do something even if you're in the process of your own your own schedule already. Yeah. And the other thing was really just my point from the beginning that it's really important for internal building to be acknowledged. I think in my experience as an interest comes up, I go through boredom, which gets me thinking. And I, I also think that that's a general human experience, that when you're not doing anything, your mind kind of wanders. And I think there have been a couple instances where I was worried that it was coming off like I was wasting my time or that concern did come up, but it didn't get to the point of assigning me things really. It was just like, are you doing anything? And I don't, that didn't upset me, but it, it can sometimes put a pressure that's really hard to take back. Yeah. So I hear you saying like the relationship itself, the trust building and the aspects of the relationship between the people can be compromised by the concerns of the adult when really what it is is that they don't understand what they're seeing because they're used to own the things that you can track and the things that make sense for the, the type of stuff you would learn in school or what they consider learning or knowledge, right? Yeah. Because I think in conventional schooling, there's there's like a timeline that's expected for what you know and when, which is not inclusive. And it's, <laughs> it can be really damaging in the way of forcing you into something that you don't like so that you feel productive for things that aren't your job. Yeah. So then when you use a term like productive, how do you gauge when you are being productive or do you feel like you struggle with that? And maybe that's because you're an unschooler and needed more structure. Um, I don't often struggle with it. I think I'm a project driven person. So usually when I start on a project that I've been wanting to do for a while, I'm like, okay, I'm getting somewhere in my own head, which is what matters for me. So like if I start a drawing that I thought I was going to do and I get just like, I just finished the sketch. I'm like, cool, I did it. Now the next step in the project is this, but I don't have to do it now, but it needs to get done by whenever. So I don't tend to feel that way, but it does come up sometimes where I'm wondering if I'm being too easy on myself like not pushing as hard as I can 
And it's funny you say that because I went through that all the time in school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it feels pretty simple to deal with. I usually just sit down and like, what could I be doing? And what are the benefits of that versus what I'm doing now? And do I need to be relaxing now? Like, am I doing this because I'm feeling some sort of way and I don't want to ignore that? Yes. Or am I just not feeling it? Which isn't always the best option to go with. And you don't always go with it, right? Like there are times where you're not feeling it and then you're like, okay, fine, I don't want to. Ha. And then there are other times where you're not feeling it and you say, let me push through because I need to. Is that a true statement? Yes, for sure. And we have the same experience as schooled people, the same experience. Even though I spent so much of my life with somebody telling me exactly what to do when and when it was due and whether it was good or not, I still have those same issues as an adult now where it's like, I don't want to. And other times I can push through or I might rely on someone else, you know, like get an accountability partner for a project or whatever. But these are human life skills that if you have practice with them now, perhaps if I practiced them when I was younger, I would be able to say things like, oh, well, I'm a project-driven person. So, you know, like you seem to have a knowledge of how you get down and how you can be productive instead of wanting to be like inspired to be productive. At least that's my observation. Yeah. Especially as an artist, I think always waiting for motivation is one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Like, (laughs) (laughs) why is that? Because like you'll be waiting, you'll be painting like or doing some kind of. I'll be waiting for you. (laughs) I'll be browsing images and be like, "Wow, that'd be so cool to draw next." (laughs) Until something clicks, and that can take days, really. And I think that goes for most things. Where sometimes you just have to kind of get into it and you don't have to stay if you feel like you're not gaining anything but you need to start yes yeah and so when we talk about um productive I also think about studying because that whole dance of being productive is that you are immersing yourself in a particular space studying a thing and we tend to lock the word studying inside of education in terms of systemic education, but really learning and studying, they go together for humans. And I've learned so much with you and Marley, like just observing the ways that you get into your own studies and essentially design curricula that's fluid, where you have, sometimes I see it written down. Like I walked into your room this morning and saw a notebook that was like studies and something like that. Yeah. Right. So what does that look like? How do you study if no one's telling you what to do all the damn time? (laughs) And how does that even come up? Why would you want to (laughs) study? Great segue. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I guess I should start by laying out what I tend to study. And usually the things that stay the same for me, because interests can fluctuate and like I never really... I don't often lose interest completely, but there's, it's a wave. So I do a lot of drawing, as I said. Foreign language I find really fun, even if it's not too fluency. I like to know things about a lot of different languages. It feels fulfilling. I also like microorganisms as well. So like... <laughs> algae and bacteria and whatnot 
I find really interesting. And a lot of these things pop up from when I had time with my recreational project. <laughs> so if I wasn't on Instagram for a bunch of times, I, I wouldn't realize that a lot of the artists I follow or a lot of the videos that are being spread are in a certain language and then I wouldn't be studying it. If I wasn't researching to build a superpower for a character, then I wouldn't have stumbled upon some of the bacteria that I found really interesting that got me into that. So I think the desire and drive to study comes from wanting efficiency from myself in whatever it is that I choose to do. Yes, love that. And I can so relate. I think a lot of us listening can relate to that, but don't realize that it's an organic thing. Like it, it emerges from you as a human with a curiosity. And for example, with language, it's the thing that I talk about the most with you and Marley, because I'm so deeply impressed by it. Because as you know, I've been studying Spanish for 50, 11 years and <laughs> just haven't gotten very far because my confidence in it has just been shot to shit from the all the times where I didn't pass the test the certain way or whatever. But then I see you with like Mandarin Chinese and and I think that's the one that you're really studying in terms of a desire for fluency. But then there are all these other ones that when we're in the airport and Marley's like, what they say, you know what language it is. Yeah. You might even know a bit of what they're saying. Like how the hell does that happen when we're not going to these countries? It's not like we've been to a lot of these countries. And it's not like you you were motivated by wanting to be fluent. So can you talk to those of us who are just like, what the hell about how that sort of thing happens as far as you see it? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's it can kind of go without saying from now on that it all stems from a passing interest, really. Even <laughs> And then it just eventually it stops passing and it's like, oh, oh, shoot, here we are. <laughs> but. I like to listen and I like to read. And I think even if I didn't, I like to I like to know little things so that I can say something relevant, even if I don't necessarily enjoy talking. I always get this little pang of joy from being like, Hey, did you know that when they're building this alphabet, blah 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 <laughs> That's something that I enjoy and that usually drives me towards certain knowledge but something else that I've experienced is also just wanting to have my own conversations in my head about more things than what I did five minutes ago yes yeah so your own knowledge acquisition like just to be able to have mm -hmm. a better relationship with your inner environment drives you to study things that pique your curiosities and then my thoughts get more entertaining, yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, which in turn cannot not affect your external communication and how you see the world. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I know like Japanese was one of the first ones I recognized that you and Marley had interest in at different <laughs> levels, right? Yep, started again recently. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because you were just talking about the Japanese alphabet the other day and it's like, is it mm -hmm. katakana? There's ha what, what is it? Hiragana is the one that I'm starting with. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then those things come from your interest in anime and manga and then like things like costume and art and art. Yes. And like costume design and the development of characters and right. So that those are some of the ways that outside looking in, I know language became like this constant on and off, but really constant in terms of overall interest and level of study. Right. Yeah. So I think overall, like a sort of TLDR (laughs) is, Internal direction is not a process to be interfered with or taken control of by concern, by by concern of somebody who doesn't fully understand what's going on. And I don't think that you should expect to fully know what's going on in such a constantly shifting space Mm. that is building a curriculum or getting into stuff (laughs) yeah and I think it's one to be respected and certainly observed because I think anybody can benefit from exploring what it is they like even if it's not to pursue a career but just to improve your (laughs) your life I guess yeah and it's (laughs) it's a really personal experience and it's really great to be able to share it with people, but it's the best thing to fully understand it yourself. I don't think that should be put above anything else. Mm. Yes. Something that comes up in learning a language, but I think is true for a lot of things would be exposure and gaining familiarity with something before you feel any more comfortable with it. So if they're, reading a bunch of comic books doesn't necessarily mean that they want to make comic books, but there are things that can be gained from that, like knowing, having a bigger mental library of fiction and ways of writing and whatnot. Like it's never just one thing. And I think you'll damage your own mind and waste your time wondering what's going to come of something that you don't have that much insight on. Yeah. So you really need to partner with that person, with that child to figure out, to one, to get more knowledge and two, to see how you can support if they need your support. Because sometimes you don't need anything. You're, you're doing your thing and you just need like housing and snacks and Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your insights. Thank you. Had to give a shout out this episode to the three exceptional, brilliant Black producers who are such a large part of the music, the sound of Fear of the Free Child podcast. Jamie, aka Serotonin. That was the very first that. That beat right there. <laughs> shout out to Jamie. Then we got Richie Flex on the beat with this one that you're hearing. And and many more to come. And then we got Akeem Music on the beat with this.
and also more to come. So we got my homegirl, we got my cousin, my biological cousin, and my brother, my biological brother, and so much more to come. So I got to shout them out because the music, I think, is getting better and better and is going to continue to get better, and they are a large part of why. So check out the show notes page if you're looking for custom beats or just some dope ones to pull from for your projects you want to check out. Jamie, Richie Flex, and Akeem Music. Thank you for listening to Fear of the Free Child podcast with me, your host, Akila S. Richards. And if you want to continue this conversation, I have recently launched a Facebook group for this. And the link to that is going to be on the show notes page. So be sure to check it out, raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 154. I've also started blogging again because I've had some life experiences. Woo! that just had me crawling back to my blog, like write it down, write it down. So (laughs) my personal blog link will also be on the show notes page. So if you're into this sort of thing, the personal work behind this raising free people work, that's what you will get on my radical selfie blog. So yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening as always. And chat to you next week. (music) 